to Act Dad, the awesome dad show. I'm your host, Mark Savant, and I've got a banger for you here tonight. This is a great episode. Today, I'm sitting down with Brandon Hay, the creator of the Black Daddies Club. I found Brandon because I watched a TEDx talk in Toronto where he just gave an amazing dissertation on the issues that he experienced as a young black man growing up in Jamaica and then as a maturing black man growing up in Toronto. A lot of really interesting issues we discussed tonight, ranging from the lack of resources for fathers, modern day masculinity, specifically LGBTQ issues in the black community and breaking some of the stereotypes. And above all, the importance of community. Look, we cover a ton of great stuff. This is definitely an episode that you're going to want to hear. As always, I want to invite you to check out the Act Dad group on Facebook. Great community. I think that you'll really enjoy it, and it's a great place to be. If you haven't already, I just ask that you subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. It is super helpful in assisting me in reaching more and more dads so that we can just build a better world. Look, this is a great episode. I'm not going to delay it anymore. Let's get right into the show. Brandon, I am really excited to chat with you tonight. How are you doing? I'm good, Mark. Really, really excited to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Man, I'm really honored to have you on the show, and I think you've got a great message to spread. I saw your TEDx Toronto presentation, and I thought it was phenomenal. So okay. I'm really looking forward to hearing more about your story. Okay. Brandon, I'm going to start. I'm gonna, we can go into your backstory a little bit, but I want to start here with yeah. the Black Daddies Club. How rewarding has the Black Daddies Club been to you as a father? It's been really rewarding, man. Like, I think as we're sort of talking about bit before the call or the interview, the Black Daddies Club really selfishly was for a gap that I see in my own life, like a need that I had, um, a need that I didn't see in Toronto in terms of support for Black fathers. And, and to be honest, there wasn't much spaces for Black for fathers in general, regardless of culture or race. But I think a space where, A, just by Black men and Black fathers gathering, you're sort of demystifying this myth that black fathers don't exist or not taking a, a, a role in their kid's life. So being in a room full of folks or being in a barbershop full of, of, of folks, or men talking about their, their, their lived experience, and also seeing bits and pieces of your own stories within these, these narratives are, are super key. For one part, you realize like you're not isolated. You realize you're not going through stuff alone. And more importantly, as you touched on, you, you, it, I get to learn a lot. I get to learn a lot from different men, different, and even moms and, and, and different guardians or whatever, like different stories that I'm able to put into my own toolkit, my own arsenal to like parent my kids. Community is incredibly important, I think, for yeah. whatever, whatever your goals are, but for fathers especially. Okay. So let's kind of back, let's kind of, let's backtrack a little bit. All right. Going back to, to your, your upbringing, you're born in Jamaica. Yeah. Which beautiful country, by the way, I got a chance to visit it a couple Mm -hmm. years ago. Really really wonderful. Got to see not only the, the, the touristy places, but got to travel up, man. I don't know how you guys drive on those roads. They're they're pretty gnarly going up the mountains and people are honking. But Brandon, so tell me a little bit about your upbringing in Jamaica and how that's impacted the way that you're fathering now. Yeah, I mean, I think the relationship with my dad growing up, like I was one of seven kids he had with different moms. It was a lot, it was hard for him to sort of split himself, so to speak, to 
be there for all the all of his children equally yeah sure and i think i think what i took from that was i think growing up it, there was a lot of like not just broken promises but there's a lot of like hurt in terms of like not really spending as much time as you want with with him and then sort of like when you do spend time you try to like the time seemed like it went quickly, you know, too quickly, right? And, and I think once it, it wrapped, you knew that you didn't know when the next time you're going to connect, which was, was, was challenging. And I think taking that in terms of like into my own children, when my first son was born, I was sort of like super like, yo, I want to be engaged. I want to do the, the diaper changing. I want to make sure my partner is sleeping and I will take turns to like have my kids sleep on my te- like my chest on the couch and then you know you go you, you know you you go through the cups of like you're waking up midways you, you, you hear your kid on the ground falling because they, they roll off your stomach because it's like there's no there's no guideline there's no blueprint in terms of this thing but all i knew was that i wanted to change this cycle that was happening in my own lineage right and then on the flip side there was like i grew up there wasn't in terms of the media there wasn't that many shows or, or, or imagery um, that showed black fatherhood in a positive light with the exception of the Cosby shows, right? So the Cosby's show now or Bill Cosby now has a different set of meanings than it, when it did when I was growing up, right? Like I think the Cosby shows doesn't necessarily capture the reality of the majority of black men. Not all black men are doctors and their wives are lawyers. But I think this idea of like the father being present co-parenting in a, this positive way was really important for me to sort of say, okay, this is something that I want to sort of like emulate. As a young father at 21, I realized like I was nowhere near the Cosbys or Bill Cosby. So it was important for me to sort of create a space where there was more, like a more of a, a realistic space where black fathers could talk about what we're going through, you know? And support each other. I think you hit on something that's, that's really important. The media in general, what you see on TV, it doesn't always show fathers in a, in a great light. Black fathers, white fathers, Hispanic, what have you. They're always kind of like the doofus or right. they're kind of like second to mom. Like mom takes care of everything or yes. fixes up all the mess ups that dad has. Right. And I found that to be a very destructive message to fathers in general and to, and to yeah. children growing up. Like, okay, now I'm a dad. I guess I've uh, downgraded my life when it's, it's really not like that at all. And I really got to commend you for breaking the cycle. Mm. I think that's something that, that we really need to focus on. Was there, was there any reason in particular, Brandon, why you decide, hey, I, I want to really be engaged. I really want to be involved. Was there something that, why, why did you make that decision? Well, I think there's, there's a couple of things, right? I think the first reason of like how Black Daddy's Club really came about in 2004, my father got murdered in Jamaica by an 11-year-old kid. Two weeks later, he was murdered by the same people who hired, hired him to kill my father, you know? And going back to Jamaica to, for the funeral, but also to speak to the, the police officer that was handling the case, he said something that struck a chord. And he was like, in this sort of normal, this, this, this sort of like nonchalant way that this is normal, like this fact that this young kid killed my dad and then was killed later on um, was normal. And uh, for me, it, it was sort of, that was really disturbing, you know, that 
he was normalizing this thing. But then I think for me, the, 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 the light bulb was the fact that, that there's a normalization of crisis within black communities, regardless if it's in Jamaica or if it's in Brooklyn or if it's in, here in Toronto. And I, I didn't want to just be apathetic anymore, right? I wanted to like do something because up to that point, I was sort of, you know, in my own bubble. You know what I'm saying? I would work, go home, watch the news and be like, oh, that, that's messed up and then go to sleep. You know, and then when this happened, I was like looking for this public outcry, but there wasn't any and realizing like I want to be a part of the solution. I don't know what the solution looks like, but I didn't want to just kind of stand on the sidelines. And it, Black Daddy's Club didn't come right away. I think it came around like six years later, a few years later, because, you, you know, I had to go through whatever grieving process I needed to go through. But I think what was coming up for me was that I was looking for, like, I want, there's things happening as a young parent, as a, a young partner, transitioning from boy to, to manhood to fatherhood, mm. um, but not really having your father to go and talk to. You know what I'm saying? I remember going to get married and, and wishing, you know, I was sort of like hoping in this weird way, like I was missing the talk. Like I would picture, like I would have with my kids when they're going to get married. You know that, that talk the father has with the son to say, yo, you're going over to this next chapter and you got to step it up and whatever, whatever. And I had to sort of like talk that to myself and sort of like imagine what he, it, it, would, it would have been like if he was there, you know? And I think for me, it's like having three black sons, is, it's not for them to have a similar experience for their experience around fatherhood me being president to be normal, you know what I'm saying? Where sometimes when I was growing up or when, when, when these guys are growing up and I would like go to the park or, you know, do little things. Like for me, this, these were like very big moments, you know what I'm saying? But they're like normal things. They're very normal things. And I think that's really the, the, the purpose. A lot of this work that I do with Black Daddy's Club, it's, it's mimicking my own life. It's informed by my own life and it's, Selfishly, it's, it's about um, looking how to improve myself as a, as, a, as a father, you know? Well, it's kind of like iron sharpens iron, right? Mm. You, you get with other people that are like-minded. Because, yeah. because the problem is this, right? You grow up without having a father like really there teaching you all these different things. And then yeah. when you finally make that jump to fatherhood, yeah. he's, he's, he's not there because he's tragically taken from this world. Yeah. So you can't say, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? So where do you go? What ends up happening, I think, in a lot of places, not just in black communities, but in all communities, is kids turn to who's, who's the cool kid? You know, mm -hmm. it's the guy selling the drugs or mm -hmm. the guy I see on TV. And they're not always the ones who are living a, the best lifestyle. For sure. But I mean, you know, the interesting thing is, I think my, my mom being a single mother, because like when we migrated to Toronto, she had this task of like, okay, how do I teach my my only child who's a, a young man how to be a man and as a woman right so i think um what she did was she exposed me like you know i have some uncles that's here in toronto so she would like in the for march break or summer break i would go and spend time with her brothers my uncles and one of my uncle for me he was sort of like the first like not just like not just one this one particular uncle but i think a lot of my uncles it was really important, I think, to sort of see these different types of masculinity. So, for example, this one particular uncle raising boys 
himself, him and his wife, you know, all three of them, like he was very involved. Like he would, I would wake up and he's making porridge, you know, for everyone to eat. And it was like, yo, you know, like I'm seeing him in the kitchen cooking. And like, it's, this is simple, but like to see a man cooking was very like, what's going on here? And this was like dope, you know what I'm saying? You know, he would coach his kids' soccer teams, um, drive them to practice. All three of his kids went to Divisional II, uh, Division II universities for, on scholarships um, in the States. And I think for me, it was, I had this, the fact that I didn't, I wasn't raised with my pops in the, the home, it, it was a blessing and a curse in, 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 in some ways, right? It was a curse in a sense of like, you know, not having that energy, that, that masculine energy on call, on will. However, the, the, the blessing was I was able to sort of pick and choose different aspects of masculinity or masculinities that I found that worked. I didn't have to download everything from one person and say, this is the archetype that I have to follow. But it gave me agency to be like, yo, I want to be a pop that cooks. I want to be a pop that is involved. Um, and then I was, I was also influenced by certain men who were on the block, you know what I'm saying, that were like, doing some of the stuff that some of the men were like, yo, some guys who were, whether they're selling drugs or whatever, they took ownership of, the, of some of the, the community and be like, yo, if they saw you skipping school, these were the men who were like, yo, what are you doing? Get back, in, back into school. You know what I'm saying? Like there was a, a bit of a piece of sort of like the school of hard knocks and then also like this, also this traditional or non-traditional views of, of maleness that I was able to sort of create like a hodgepodge of sort of like, uh, I was able to make my own and, and, def- make my, and define my own masculinity, which I thought was dope and, and, and really important. It sounds to me like your mother made a very, very smart choice to say, hey, how can I put my son in a position to succeed? I think a lot of people, so I don't wanna, I don't wanna generalize, but I think it's sometimes when there's a relationship that's so broken uh, for, wh- for whatever reason or something horrible happens, yeah. the mom or the dad say, oh, I'm going to do it all myself. Right, right. But I think kids growing up, they, they really need to have that, that positive male role model. For sure. So, for sure. I mean, <laughs> do you ever think about, hey, what would have happened if my mom hadn't put me in a position to be around a positive male I role model? I don't know. I mean, you know, it could have ended that went a different direction because I do see, you know, I've seen the different examples when certain folks are, doesn't have that energy, you know? But I also recognize that, that there's been different men throughout my life that's been, like, instrumental. So w- one of my best friends in high school, his pops was, like, wasn't, like, the regular kind of dad, you know what I'm saying? Like, he took a real interest in his friends, in his son's friends who came to the home, to, to their home. Like, he would treat us like we're an extension of his family, you know? And I thought that was really dope. So what I mean by that is, you know, we would come over to his house after school and he would come and he'd be like, hey, Brandon, what's going on? How's school going? He had a moving company and I, I, did, I wasn't working at the time. This was like grade nine, grade 10. And he's like, one Saturday, he's like, hey, do you want to come do a job with me? You know what I'm saying? I went, did the job. I damaged this, the person's wall that we're moving in, but he still paid me the full amount it was really, it was, it was a good, ex- it was just nice. It was, the, he didn't have to do that. But I think he, he understood that parenting is more than just about parenting your own households. It's yeah. sometimes it means parenting the community of kids that you're, is, is congregating 
with your own children. You're smart, you know, and I, and I, took, I take that same approach to my kids' friends, introduce myself or I'll, I'll talk to them. The same way I'll ask my kids if they've done their homework, if their friends are around, I ask them if they're doing the same thing, right? Not to like overstep, but let them know that they're cared about, you know what I'm saying? That I, they're not invisible, essentially, which I think is, is important. Very, I mean, it's extremely important because it's kind of funny as we're talking here, you can pinpoint certain, certain stories in your life that had a significant impact on you mm -hmm. and, and recognize that and say, okay, how can I fill in that gap for the next generation? Right. How can I make a change? So I want to ask you something that I, that I heard on another talk that you've done, and it's a little mm -hmm. bit about masculinity. Right. right now, I think a lot of kids growing up, they, they see the musicians with the, with the cars and the women mm -hmm. and the money and, 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 the, and the guns and the, and the strength, right? That's what it means to be a man. Mm -hmm. okay? But you had mentioned that you went to see a movie with your, with your young son, and you asked him after the movie. I can't remember That's the moonlight. Yes. Yeah, moonlight, yeah. And you asked him, what does it mean to be, what does masculinity mean? And he said, it is a performance. Yeah. Right? So I asked him, like, we went to see the film, and I was a bit hesitant around seeing the film just because it's the, the storyline is, is, is dealing with homosexuality in the black community, right? Which is sort of like taboo. Great film. You know, there were some scenes that came up. I was like, Fuck, like, am I a bad parent for exposing my kid to this? And am I, you know, all these different things. And afterwards, we went to go and grab a bite to eat. And I was like, well, what is black masculinity to, to you? How do you define it? And it was like, it's a performance. And for me, that was like this great moment for me as a parent, um, because I realized that my son at 14 was more evolved than I was at his age and really in, into my 20s, you know? And I think... For me, the one thing I want my kids to, to take away is that I don't see, I see masculinity as something that's plural, right? So masculinities, you know, whether you're a trans man or you're a gay man, um, you're still a man, essentially, right? And there's, it's okay to have different entry points into your, into your maleness. And it's also important for if my kids, any of my kids say, yo, I'm, I'm gay or I'm a trans woman or whatever, that they know that they're still loved, Right? I've had, I've done workshops with men and women and asked the question, how would you respond if you came home and you saw your daughter engage in a relationship with a woman versus how would that be different if you came home and saw your son being engaged in a, re a romantic relationship with other, another man? And 80 to 90% of the response on both sides would be that, you know, I'd be upset if I saw my daughter, but I would talk with her. But usually when it's around their son, there's like some real violent stuff, like real literal violence that comes up. And that's like their, their response is like, they can't go past that, yeah, if you go past the violence, if you get me. In 2011, Black Daddy Club, we did, we do a series of different discussions or different events. And we did, we did this taboo dialogue called Queer as Black Folk. And the, the idea behind it came from talking to a black father who was gay in Toronto at the time. And he was like, I'm sort of living this double-edged sword where from the black community, I'm being ostracized because of my sexuality. And then from the predominant gay community or gay village, I'm ostracized because of my race. So there's no, for him, he was like, I have no real place I can call community. You know what I'm saying? We had a discussion. We worked with, there's this dope woman here in Toronto called Kim Crosby, now Kim Crosby Milan who moderated the, the panel, but we went into this 
queer space called BQI, called It's Black Queer Youth, which is, it's held out of this health center in Toronto called Sherbourne Health Center. There was a lot of young Black LGBTQ youth that were at this session, and we're sort of just having like a, a conversation. And, and a couple of takeaways. The first takeaway that I, I took away from that session was they were like, they were really surprised that there were like straight black men in the space. Um, because usually when there's dialogues around um, LGBTQ and the straight community, there's expectation that the black LGBTQ folks have to go into straight communities, not the other way around, right? So mm. the fact that we're going into this space that wasn't uh, like ours, that sort of shifted the power and helped the dialogue. The other piece that I found was interesting was hearing these folks talk about, or the people in the room talk about their own experience with their own fathers and how traumatic a lot of those experiences were because of the church or just because of cultural or societal sort of upbringings. For me, that struck a chord. I was like, nah, I, 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 like I didn't want my kids to be in a similar, this, a similar space and talking about that. You know what I'm saying? Like, that makes sense to have a similar experience, right? So, and, and this just kind of goes back to the point that you're saying is like doing this work, it makes you become a better parent. You know what I'm saying? And a better human being, straight goods. And I think the, the approach to doing this work is lifelong learning, you know? Well, I think that's, that's definitely commendable. And so to kind of back it up, you said something that, that really resonates with me and yeah. that you made, it, you made it a parenting decision to go see this movie and have this conversation, talk to your kid and, and whatnot. And then you question yourself, like, is this something that I should be doing? Why not? Mm-hmm. So how instrumental was the Black Daddies Club or how did you decide, how did you kind of, come through the other side and say, you know what, this is the right thing to do. Cause I think a lot of parents are going to ask themselves that question. Am I making the right decision? Right. I mean, to be honest, I think that's a question that's continually, I think, I don't know if that stops asking that question to be totally honest. Cause up to mm-hmm. this day, for different reasons, I asked myself that, those particular questions. When my middle son was, I think seven we're in the car waiting for his grandmother to do like finish grocery shopping. And he was like, you know what pops? Um, and this was the first time that I was engaged with this question. Um, he was like, you know, I'm paraphrasing him, but he's like, I saw two guys kissing. What's up with that? And I was just sort of like, I wasn't expecting that. I was just doing the, 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 the sad day chores. He was in the back seat. And I remember like really being scared at my response. Because I felt that whatever my response is going to be, it's going to sort of like shape who this person is going to be. You know, his mom is a Christian. I'm not necessarily, you know, I'm spiritual, but not in the church. So my, our, our views are different in that aspect. He goes to a Catholic school. So it's like all these things are going in my head. And I'm also thinking about how do I respond in a way that he's going to understand at seven years old. And I, was, I remember, you know, telling him something on the lines like, you know what, some men like women and some men like other men, but it's all love and it's okay. And he was like, okay, cool. And I think sometimes parents, we, may, we, we, shun, we shun from answering some questions because A, we don't have the answer and we're scared to sort of like, we don't know what to say. So we choose not to say anything. And I think that could be more harmful than, than not because then they're going to seek those answers out um, and they may go to a, a less 
reputable source, i.e. one of their friends, you know, then, then they're just cycling bad information amongst them, right? So I think it's okay to have conversations. And I think recognizing that, like, that one conversation doesn't have to be the end of the conversation. It could be a starting point, and then we continued at a different point, trying to find, like, t different teachable moments, so to speak. So, like, whether it's, like, driving in, you know, driving in the, the car with my kids and a hip-hop song will come on and they're singing the lyrics and there may be, like, questionable lyrics and, like, hmm, what is that, what's, what, what's, what's happening here? What is that person saying in the lyrics? And I think having these, like, opportunities to, like, conversation, to conversate, I think growing up in my, in our era or my era, compared to my parents' era, I have social media or I have the internet that I can, I put into my, into my, my arsenal, my parenting arsenal. So what I mean by that is I, I will use, you know, use a lot of media in terms of like movies or YouTube clips to sort of like, to get the conversation going and then debrief on it. You know what I'm saying? And I think those things are sort of good just because it, it gives them an engagement or an entry point that, you know, in, in a medium that they're, they're comfortable in, if you get what I'm saying, versus like, versus like, well, son, let's talk about the birds and the bees right now that they may be like, what, you know, or just get turned off or whatever, you know, but I don't know. Yeah, I think that my takeaway is just like, it's important to have that conversation or at least try to start the conversation. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you, Brandon. I think that that's probably one of the most important things that we as fathers do is helping our children process all this information from all these outside sources. Like you said, we're kind of like the first generation of fathers who are dealing with the Twitter age and the Facebook age and the Instagram age and the TikTok. Mm -hmm. they're, they're getting all these messages from all these different places. Yeah can sometimes be extremely toxic, you know, both to the way that they engage with others around them, but the way that they feel on the inside too, whether it's being bullied or not feeling secure, or maybe they don't have the right filter, or they don't have the six pack abs. Mm -hmm. And I think, I mean, the, 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 I'd be remiss if I didn't make mention as a black parent, you're also dealing with having conversation with your sons and your daughters about anti-black racism, right? So seeing stuff like Eric Garner or Trayvon Martin. And then like, I remember walking in home from, I think I was at school or work and I came in one night, this is years ago. And I saw, this is when the night that Eric Garner got shot and it was like on CNN, but how it was happening, it was, it was like, I wasn't sure if it was like real, if it was a movie, but I was there like fully triggered as this thing was happening because I'm a bit, I'm a, I know, I'm a black man in a big body that sort of like looks, Eric Garner-esque or Bigger Tomer-esque. And it's just like realizing that like raising black boys is that like society is not shaped to love black men. You know what I'm saying? If anything, it's, it's really, it, it's, it's showing a constant showing of the hatred of black men and how black men are, 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 are sort of enemy of state. And I think it's important to like love, like I have to show, uh, maybe it's overcompensation, but I have to like show my son's extra love this has to be like ground zero in terms of like, I see them and it's like a hug and a kiss on their forehead. It doesn't matter how old or tall they get, because I know outside the space that they always have to sort of put on this mask on performance to sort of survive out there. You know what I'm saying? I think, and I don't mean to cut you off, but I think it's yeah. really hard for, for me as a white man growing up in America with mm -hmm. a three year old daughter, I'm never going to have to have that conversation about sure. that you're going to have to have with your kids about, 
you know, hands up and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also extremely difficult to put ourselves in, in, for me to put myself in your shoes. I'll never right. walk in your shoes. I'll never know exactly yeah. what it's like. I've definitely had questions about, about that. Like, well, how much of this is just the media trying to trigger us? How much of this is just the Facebook algorithm just trying to get us all worked up? But mm-hmm. time and time again, when I'm speaking to black fathers, they consistently have this message of, hey, this is a real problem. This is something I feel mm-hmm. on a regular basis. And so- well, I mean, I, I, like I, in Toronto, um, and from what I see in the States, you know, anti-black racism, anti-black racism is real, right? And there's systemic racism and it's real. Like we see it in the school system, see it in, in the criminal justice system. Like in Toronto, black and indigenous men are filtered out the school system at alarming rates and are filtered into the prison system at alarming rates. And the same thing for black women and, and, and indigenous women. When we look at, you know, in the school system, like I, I see it within, within my three sons. Like, first of all, the, a lot of the administration and the teachers don't look like my kids. They're not necessarily even the same community. When they come in, at a certain age, my kids are like cute and, you know, they're babies in the kindergarten stage and it's like great. But then as they grow up into adolescence and they're developing like any other kids are doing at their age, the response is a lot more punitive. It's yeah. a lot more, you know, suspension or sent to the office or sent to the class at like different rates compared to like the white counterparts, right? So I think it's like you have to have conversations with your kids and advocate for your kids. Try to talk to your kids about how they can try to advocate for themselves. And it's, it's tough because like sometimes you're like, it's, I can see sometimes it's easy for a parent, it's, it may be easier for a parent to be like, okay, can you not give as much trouble in the class? And they're like, yo, I wasn't doing this or this, that, and the fourth. And kids are going to say, you know, like, <laughs> you know they're going to say whatever to like, not whatever. But because I was also in the school system, I know how that can play out. I see it where they, for a while they're having this carding discarding situation where um in areas where there was like high shootings or whatever that they're doing like a carding situation where basically what that means is that they could approach any citizen and ask them to produce id for without cause and so they can pull you over and you're driving or if you're just standing up and you look like a suspect or you look suspicious they could come and approach you however when they did the, the data or they broke down the data it seemed like 80% of the people that they're pulling down were black. So I think we have to be, like, it's important to teach our kids to be critical because then if, if, if you don't teach your, your children, your black children to be critical um, or to have critical thinking, then they start to internalize that racism, right? Then they start to believe that they're negative. You understand what I'm saying? And I think yeah. the work that we're doing with Black Daddy's Club and the work that as black as a black father, regardless of the club, is really around trying to instilling hope it's around instilling love and also in, around instilling healing, not just in our children, but in, in ourselves. You understand what I'm saying? Because like, we're also dealing with the same trauma. Um, we're dealing with our own trauma rather and try to parent on top of that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just like being mindful that you're not necessarily setting up your kids for feeling to be scared of living, like leaving their houses, but they have to be aware because then if, if something happens and, and I didn't do the job of like, talking to them, then I didn't do my job. Yeah. I mean, really, really deep stuff here, Brandon. Definitely. I mean, we could go on for hours and hours talking about this and how we can try to improve it. One of the things that really scares me 
is when you start looking at the, the prison populations and, and the, the number of black men that are in the, the prison populations who yeah. are leaving kids at home who grow up fatherless and then, yeah. and, you know, being involved in violence and poverty and opiates. And it, it's alarming. It's something that, that really needs to be addressed. And, and I'm glad that you're out there trying to be a positive influence, putting yourself out there, making yourself available to the community and, and growing things like that. It's really commendable, Brandon. Thank you. Before I let you go, I've got some quick fire questions for you. Okay. okay. Favorite story to tell your kids? What's your favorite story? To be honest, the, the stories that I do with my kids, a lot of it is impromptu. A lot of it is inserting their names into the stories. And it's sort of like to see themselves. That, and that came about not, not having enough. I didn't know about enough stories that like centralized black you know, little boys like themselves into like, you know, positive figures, if that makes any sense. And don't get me wrong, there's, there's a whole bunch of books out there. I just wasn't connected to the bookstores when I was younger at their age, you know? So, um, and I also found it fun, like just making up stories and they seem more engaged when I was making up stories of, you know, young Elijah jumping on a rocket ship. Like that was more interested than Jack and a Beanstalk for them, you know? So I think, that was yeah that that's it like stories that included their name their names and and all that stuff very cool i was it's funny it's funny you mentioned that brandon because i was doing the same thing with my daughter today and oh, she was like, another story another story i've never done it before until today yeah yeah how, how did she take it <laughs> oh she was loving it she i mean i ended up being just telling her stories for a half hour because she just wanted to hear more and more and more yeah, that's uh, so that's that's a really I, I like that a lot that's a cool one uh movie favorite movie my own personal favorite movie? Yeah. Uh, the, what comes to mind is uh, Coming to America. That may change yep. tomorrow if you ask me the same question, but right now, Coming to America is the first one came to mind. Eddie Murphy. Awesome. What about favorite vacation? Favorite place that you, you've gotten to go to with your kids? We, we did the cruise the last couple of years. We did the cruise, and I think we went to Turks and Caicos. But it was this island off in one of the Bahamas bomber, Island was, was just kind of cool where it was sort of like, just being by the water has been, yeah, I think anywhere in the water and it's hot is good. Awesome. Favorite musical artist? Who are you listening to right now? Dennis Brown, Bob Marley, but Dennis Brown. I would say Dennis Brown. I can't go wrong with Dennis Brown, which is for folks who don't know, old reggae artists, Google him, Foundation Music. I really like reggae. I don't know who Dennis Brown is, so I'm going to look Gotta him look up. him up, Marta. Yeah. Will do. All right, final yeah. question here. You can sit down and talk to anyone in history. Who do you talk to? I think right now it'd be my pops. It would definitely be my dad to have that conversation and just kind of check in. Powerful. I love that. Brandon, once again, thank you so much. You guys got to check out Brandon Hay all over the place. You can find theblackdaddiesclub.com on a computer near you. Any final you. Uh, parting words here, Brandon? Nah, man. Thank you. Uh, and thank you just for doing this work um, and just getting the narrative of, of not just black fathers, but like all fathers. I think, it's like super important just to get the narrative out there for young fathers to sort of come across this and realizing that they're not alone and like be able to pick up nuggets from one of the interviews that you're doing. So thank you for the work, brother. Really, really appreciate that, Brandon. It means a lot. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you. Really looking forward to watching your story unfold here over the years. No doubt. You take care, brother. You too. Thank you so much for listening in to today's episode on the ActAd Show. I hope you got as much value out of it as I did. It's really cool for me embarking on this project. Every single person I speak to 
gives me different nuggets of information and this interview with Brandon Hay is no exception. Once again, I would love to have you join the Actadad family. Head on over to Facebook, join Actadad, the awesome dad group. It is a fantastic place to be if you are a father trying to be your best self. Make sure that you subscribe to the podcast every Monday. We bring out a fresh episode with some of the best and most interesting fathers in the world. And head over to www.actadad.com to see all the dope things that we're doing at Actadad. Look, I'm Mark Savant. Thank you so much for listening in today. And I will catch you next week. Same time, same place. Peace.